today I'd like to start today's talk. Uh, what I'd like to you do is to think back of a time in your life when you had a great teacher. Or think of a time uh, when you were growing up, maybe you had this teacher in your life that was very influential. Maybe you had a teacher in elementary school or in high school. Maybe you had a great professor in college. Uh, maybe you had a coach in the sport you played, a music, art, drama, dance instructor, maybe a family member. Perhaps there's a pastor in your life who was influential. Uh, somebody who really impacted your life uh, for the good, which involved their teaching. Can you, by show of hands, can you think of anyone who has impacted you by their teaching? Nearly every single person besides a few people, have raised their hands. Uh, and what is it about them that made them a great teacher? Well, educational experts have come up with a short list of what it, would, what it means to be a great teacher. There's a common thread that seems to be found in all teachers. And maybe you would say, hey, I have my list. I'm looking for a person that does like this and this. I'm looking for a person that wears gray sweatshirts and green pants. That's the kind of person I like to learn from. Uh, but whatever it is, educational experts have come up with their list. And there's a few of them I like to share. The first one is this. Great teachers set high expectations for their students. Now, my favorite teachers in school, not so much middle school or high school, but when I got into college and I started doing my graduate work, I really enjoyed the teachers that set high expectations. They were hard. They made me work for an A. They didn't uh, just like let everyone get an A in the class. They really pushed me to, they set high expectations. They set a high bar because they believed every student would be better for it and every student was capable of great achievement. Great teachers set high expectations. Uh, here's a second thing. Great teachers form strong relationships with their students. Now, lots of people who teach love their subject matter, whether it's math or science or economics or history, but they don't love the students that they are teaching. Their classroom style may be one of intimidation. Uh, great teachers, on the other hand, are warm. They're accessible. They make themselves available to students. A third thing that great teachers do is this. A great teachers are masters of their subject matter. They constantly spend time gaining new knowledge in their given field. And they instill that same kind of hunger in the students that they teach. And then lastly, the fourth thing, great teachers teach in ways that are memorable. Now, did you ever have a coach or a teacher or a pastor? They had these little sayings. They did these little things. And when they did them, it helped you to understand something a little bit better, but it actually changed the way you think about something and you were better for it. You actually remember the thing that they taught you. Great teachers teach in ways that are memorable. Now, last week, we started a new series called The Real Jesus. And what I, we are planning on doing in this series is we're looking at the real Jesus. We're taking off all the layers of tradition. We're taking off the layers of religion and some of the myths. And we're trying to encounter the real Jesus, the one 
who was raised in Nazareth in Galilee 2,000 years ago, the one who uh, was resurrected and who lives with us and communicates with us today. And what we see is that teaching is one of the main things, one of the main activities the real Jesus did when he was here on earth. We constantly find Jesus teaching in the temple. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's teaching in homes uh, when people would invite him in. He's teaching wherever he travels. And there's even stories where he's teaching in a uh, anchored boat that's a little bit off the coast just so everyone can have a perspective and see him. He teaches crowds. He teaches small groups of his own pupils. He teaches men. He teaches women. And he continues to teach us today by the power of his Holy Spirit who lives in people who welcome him in. Look at the words of John 14. In John 14, 26, it says this. It says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you Of everything that I have said to you. And you know it's not uncommon. In the more conservative wing of the church. Where people say yes. Jesus was a teacher. But he was also a savior. He died on the cross. And yeah we say yeah that's true. We believe that here. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. But yes he is a miracle worker. He did amazing things in his life. And he did what no one else did. He came back to life. And they might say that Jesus is more than a teacher. They say he's a resurrected Lord. Who ascended into heaven. And I would say yeah. I agree with that too. That's also true. But conservatives when they insist. That Jesus is being more than a teacher. They fail to underline. That he is still a teacher. That he's still teaching us. He He is more than a teacher. But he's not less than a teacher. And you will not truly understand the real Jesus until you encounter him as your teacher. Your teacher for the here and now. So I've called today's message, Jesus, our teacher. I'm going to pray. I'm going to welcome God's presence. By the way, when I welcome God's presence, I already think that he's here. But I like to welcome him anyway. And so I'm going to pray Invite God's presence, and then let's, let's dig into this. Jesus is teacher. God, uh, let's pray. God, we give you this time. I ask that you would help me to speak as I should, that you would lead me to say things I wasn't intending to say, that, uh, that Jesus, you would connect with this audience. You are our teacher, uh, that you love us, and you want to continue to teach us good things. And so we give you this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, first, how does Jesus resemble other great teachers? Well, think back over some of the qualities that I mentioned before about great teachers. Uh, Do you think that Jesus had these qualities? For example, was Jesus, uh, did he set high expectations for his students? Did Jesus set those for his disciples? Well, just think about Jesus' famous teachings. Uh, Think of his most famous teaching was something called the Sermon on the Mount, which he spoke to people on a mount, and he, like, told people all these different things. And here's what he says. Look, he says in Matthew 5, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You look in Matthew 5, 28, he says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart in Matthew 5 44 he says but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you question 
are these standards high enough? Are these uh, really high standards? I, I would think so. Well, another thing you could ask is, uh, does uh, Jesus love the students uh, that he teaches? When, as a teacher, I said that he, a teacher should love and care about their students. In a lot of ways, I think, yes, you think about Aaron Feast. He was a high school coach in Florida, and he died. And the way he died was uh, he was shielding his students from bullets from an on-site shooter. And Jesus is a lot like that. Jesus, as a teacher, lays down his life for us, proving to us that he loves us. And he loved us more than his own life. I said that great teachers teach in a way that is memorable. Do you think the real Jesus of history taught in ways that are memorable? For those of you that grew up in church, or those of you that have ever read the Bible, do you remember some of the stories of Jesus? How about the story of the prodigal son? Or the story of the sower and the seed? Or the story of the good Samaritan? Or you think about these words when Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He says, so in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Pretty memorable. So in many ways, Jesus is a great teacher. He follows kind of what experts would say are great teachers. And he follows all of the things that, that, yeah, that would, would say that. But Jesus is so much more than that. The real Jesus was a unique teacher and in many ways, he offered something unique and that's something that was different than what other teachers offered. So let me read to you from John 7, and let's talk about that. How does the real Jesus differ from other from great teachers? We, we read in John 7, it says, Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Now, let me read verse 15 again. And I highlighted a little bit of it for you. It says, the Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? I think the first way that Jesus is different and differs from other great teachers is that Jesus' teaching is wise. The real Jesus was wiser than any teacher that ever lived. But what do I mean by wisdom? When I say that Jesus' teaching was wise, what are we talking about here? Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom equals skill for living. Wisdom is skill in relating to God and relating to all sorts of people. If you are wise, you're able to relate to the rich. If you're wise, you're able to relate to the poor. You're able to relate to wise people and foolish people and young people and old people and really old people. You're able to uh, connect with people who are Republicans and you're able to connect with people and relate to people who are Democrats. And you can relate to the middle, the independents. You can relate to people who have a different racial and religious background than you. And you can relate to those who look and feel and think and believe the exact same things you do. Wisdom is skill for living on how to relate to God and how to relate to other people. 
But wisdom is also skill in relating to every kind of situation. So we're able to relate our life. We have wisdom when things are bad in sickness, when, th- when we're in health, when we have teenage problems. I don't know if any of anyone has teenagers or maybe you had teenagers. We don't have a teenager yet, but wisdom will be us figuring out how to relate to our daughter when she's a teenager. We can figure out ways of relating to the problems of being young parents. Uh, we can deal with workplace situations. We can deal with workplace hassles. We can deal with sexual temptation or marital problems, or we can deal with romantic relationships when we're getting together with someone, when we're on the house with something, when there's a messy breakup. Wisdom is being able to deal with those situations and problems we're facing in life. Now, in secular society, the society out there, the experts tell us that what we need to deal with life's problems is found where? It's found in science. If we devote ourselves to more research, more study, we'll discover the solutions to life's problems. But that's what they say. We say we need more research, we need more investigation, we need more study. But science, as much as I love it, can only take us so far. Science can reveal to us the mechanics of something. It can show us how something works. But it is impossible. It can't reveal to us the purpose of that thing. Addressing the mechanics will not ultimately resolve some of the problems, some of the issues and, uh, that we face. And it will not give us the wisdom that we need for living. So Jesus offers himself as a wise teacher to you and to me. So let me ask you a question before we move on. Do you think that Jesus is a wise teacher? Do you think that Jesus maybe, just maybe, has more skill at dealing with life's issues than you do? Does he have more insight on how to relate to other people? Do you think that he cares about what you're going through? Do you think that he can offer you counsel about the thing that you're going through with your work or how to think about your sex life or how you should respond to mistreatment at work? Is Jesus wise and Will he actually offer that wise counsel to you? Do you think Jesus knows better than anyone about how life works and what the wise thing for you to do would be in your particular situation? So if you think that Jesus' teaching is wise, the question for you is, do you listen to him? Do you welcome it in? Do you say, you know what? I am going to listen. I do believe that you're wise. Moving on. Uh, In John chapter 7, verse 15, it says, uh, I I read this, but I'll read it again. It says, uh, you see in verse 16, well, I'll I'll start in verse 15. It says, the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. What we see here is that Jesus' teaching is not only wise, but Jesus' teaching is authoritative. And John tells us that the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught it in such a wise way without any formal training. They were astonished that there was someone who had not been a part of some great rabbinical, uh, like some school where he was trained. It wasn't some formal thing where a rabbi 
who was a Jewish teacher, taught him everything that he knew and knew and passed it on to Jesus, who Jesus then passed it on to his disciples. Jesus' authority was not from some traditional line of command, some chain of uh, some some rabbinic chain. Jesus' authority wasn't an inherited tradition. The real Jesus derived his authority directly from God. And here's what we read. Look, look, look at it in verse 16. It says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. So my question is this. What would it mean for you to say that Jesus' teaching is authoritative for you? This is really hard because what it means. It means that we bring our entire life under the teaching of Jesus. To have Jesus' teaching be authoritative in our life you would have to bring your life and your opinions about everything, everything under Jesus. This means your opinions about politics. This means your opinions about what happens at our southern border, what happens in international politics. This means your opinions about your dating relationships and how you conduct those. It's your opinions about money, like how and when you spend your money. It's your opinions Uh, your personal opinions about giving, what percentage of your money do you give away? It's your opinions about what to do when somebody offends you. Everybody's got opinions. And when we follow the authoritative teaching of Jesus, we're saying, we're going to submit our lives under you. And it is impossible for the person to accept Jesus as their teacher and say regarding something that Jesus taught, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's fine. I, it's all well and good, but I disagree. The reality of our claim to be followers of Jesus is called into question precisely at the points where we substitute our own opinions about what Jesus says for uh, instead of listening to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus' teaching is not just authoritative over our minds. It's authoritative over our relationships. And so to be a student of Jesus, to follow Jesus, is to bring all of your relationships under his teaching. This means in our marriages, we bring that under Jesus, whether to marry or not to marry, whether or how we relate to each other in our marriage, it comes under Jesus. And it means when we raise children, That goes under the teaching of Jesus. How do we raise a child? What do we do? What do we not do? I have my opinion. You have your opinion. Jesus, what are you saying? How do we raise this kid? It means our jobs and our possessions. It means how we relate to our parents. It means how do we relate to our siblings? How do we relate to coworkers? How do we relate to other people in this church? And whenever, here's what I find. Whenever I talk about something that Jesus said, and I'm talking to somebody about it, and they disagree with me, do you know what the typical response is for someone that says, you know, Jesus may have said that, uh, you know, someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. They say this one line, I go, you know, you know Jesus said this, what are you going to do with that? They go, well, I'm going to pray on that. I'm going to pray about that. If I had a dollar for every time someone said to me, having heard Jesus' statement about one thing or another, They say, you know what, I guess I'll have to pray about that. If I had a dollar for every time, I'd be a very wealthy man. And it makes me want to scream. I'm like, what are you going to pray about? Whether or not Jesus said it? Are you going to pray about whether it applies to you or not? Or are you just going to apply your personal opinion to it? And here's the question. 
If Jesus' teaching is authoritative, do you obey him? Do you obey him? Now, Jesus actually gave us a clear way to test uh, about to figure out whether his teaching was authoritative and whether his teaching comes from God. We read in verse 17, he says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And I want to speak to some of you who struggle with doubt. You know, you wonder uh, if the real Jesus is who people say he is. Uh, did the real Jesus actually become a human being? Did he actually live in the real human flesh? And you might say, you know, I read one article on the internet and it says this. And then I flip to another article and it says the exact opposite thing. And, you know, last night I was up until two in the morning. I didn't care that there was a, there was a, a spring forward ahead thing. I was up until two in the morning watching some well-researched documentary on Netflix about the real Jesus. And then I come to church and the pastor says this about the real Jesus. Who am I to believe? What should I know about the real Jesus? How can I know who the real Jesus is? And what Jesus says, the real Jesus says, is that the proof, the proof uh, about all this, where his teaching comes from, uh, how you prove it to be true or not, whether it's authoritative or not, it's not external. It's not out there. It's not like you line up all the sources that can prove that it's true or not true. The best proof of who Jesus is and his authority is internal. It's the only kind of internal thing that we've ever seen like this. He has a way of self-authenticating who he is and what his teaching means. And so what this means is it's a self-authenticating internal way where you don't have to listen to everyone else. You don't have to gain uh, all the opinions and line all the information but the real self-authenticating internal way for you to know who Jesus is, is this. You do his will. He says, anyone who does my will, they will find out whether or not my teaching comes from God. And this is precisely what people don't do. They choose not to do his will. We debate, we're in an endless debate about the words of Jesus and what it means and what it doesn't mean. And we think about it, and we pray about it. And if we're really smart, we put it in a decision purgatory, which is sort of like you didn't say yes or no, but you're forever going to just be thinking about it. When someone says, are you still thinking about it? You're like, yes, I'm still thinking about it. And what Jesus says is the way you're going to know if my teaching is true is to try it, to do it. And what you find when you do it is that the supernatural power of God through his Holy Spirit makes something real to you. Sometimes we have to step out and obey to see that it's real. And Jesus really doesn't make a very strong case on like, here's all the sources about how you know I'm speaking with authority. He's like, go ahead and give it a shot and see what happens. And so that's the word I feel like I have to deliver to you. Go ahead. I double dare you. Try it. See what happens. See what happens if you just do what it says. See what happens when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, it probably means I should learn my neighbor's names. Go ahead. Go ahead. Give that a shot. I wonder what that would happen. I wonder what would happen if we just did what he said. And I can tell you, I've been following Jesus, I mean, for about 20 or so years, seriously. And the times that I am obedient, even when I don't understand, when I say, look, this is authoritative. I'm going to do this even though I don't understand. Something supernaturally happens in my life. It doesn't maybe happen in an instant. But I look at the track record of my life and I see a difference. I see a different direction. There is power, supernatural power, when we submit to the authority of Jesus. And Jesus is sort of like, you know, I mean, dude, he's, he gives you a choice. 
Like, as I hope you hear from me, I'm not like, you need to do this, or I'm going to find you, and we're going to fist fight out in the parking lot. Uh, I'm not that kind of pastor. Um, I'm not a strong fist fighter. <laughs> what I am saying is you have a choice. You can choose. You can choose it. I dare you. I wonder what would happen. So what we see here is that Jesus' teaching is wise. Jesus' teaching is authoritative. And the third thing uh, is that Jesus, the real Jesus' teaching is self-focused. And this is kind of wild. It's in verse 18, he says, Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Jesus says that not only is his teaching true, but he is true. That he is true. Jesus, meaning himself, is a man of truth. Unlike every other great teacher, the main subject of Jesus' teaching was himself. He was constantly talking about himself. Other teachers that you've had speak about a particular body of information. They talk about chemistry or biology or history or economics. And, but the main thing that Jesus talked about was himself. And John Stott, he's a guy that has informed my uh, thinking on Christianity a lot. He wrote this uh, great little book called Basic Christianity. Uh, and here's what he says uh, about this. Uh, he says, he talks about this Jesus teaching being self-focused. And I think we have a slide and it's a quote, but there's some bullet points. And so, you know, you can follow along on the slide. It says, Jesus' uniqueness was completely unselfconscious. He didn't need to draw attention to it. It was a fact so obvious to him that it didn't need emphasizing. It was implied rather than asserted. Everyone else was a lost sheep. He had come as a good shepherd to seek and to serve them. Everyone else was sick with a, with a disease of sin. He was a doctor who came to heal them. Everyone else was trapped in the darkness of sin and ignorance. He was the light of the world. Everyone else was a sinner. He was born to be their savior and would die for the forgiveness of their sins. Everyone else was hungry. He was the bread of life. Everyone else was dead in wrongdoing and sins. He could be their life now and their resurrection for the future. You know, you might say that there is a lot of self-centered people in our world today, this room excluded. You are all super selfless. I understand that. But for everyone else outside of Roosevelt Elementary Auditorium, there's a lot of self-centered people. We hear about the disease of narcissism in American culture all the time. But I want to make sure we understand the difference between the narcissism of our age and the real Jesus. What Stott is saying here, John Stott, what he's saying is, and what we find in the real Jesus is a combination of two things. Complete self-centeredness when it comes to his teaching and complete unself-centeredness when it comes to his behavior. His, he is completely self-centered when he's talking about his, when he's teaching us and completely unself-centered when, when he acts and he does things in the world. And Stotts has this to say. You can follow along on the slides. He says, in thought, he put himself first. Indeed, he put himself last. Uh, he exhibited both the greatest self-esteem and the greatest self-sacrifice. He knew himself to be Lord of all, but he became a servant. 
And it says, he said that he would come to one day judge the world, but he washed the feet of his friends. Let me ask you a question. If you think Jesus' teaching is self-focused, do you come to him? Jesus repeatedly points to himself as the answer to life's questions. He just doesn't offer us some abstract principle, some abstract idea, some belief, behavior, and service. We've got to believe all these things, be, and then we need to go along our merry way, and then every once in a while we should check in and pray around the Thanksgiving table. He just doesn't give us a system. There's a lot of systems in Christianity, but he just doesn't deliver the system that's apart from him. What he is doing is he is saying, it's not just a worldview that I want you to adopt. It's not just some philosophy that you should bring on and you need to reject these other philosophies. It's not just some dry religion. He's saying, it's me. I am giving you me. I am welcoming you and inviting you to have relationship with me. And, you know, whatever our situation, whatever our circumstance, what we need most is not some belief system. It's not some kind of regimen where we get up every Sunday, although it is nice to have you here. Uh, it's not that. What Jesus is giving us is himself. The real Jesus is not a principle, not some pat on the back answer. We need the real Jesus. The real Jesus that has been in this room since we started at 10 a.m. He's here. Like he lives in us who believe him and he's around us. He speaks to us. He talks to us. He guides us. And this is what Jesus is saying in all of his teaching. He says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Will you come to him? If you are in need, will you go to him? Will you welcome him in? Will you come to him in a way that is real? Have you responded to Jesus' call to come to him? And this is unique among other things, among every other teacher. Most teachers draw you to their subject matter, Jesus, the teacher among all teachers, the wisest that ever lived, calls you to himself. And right now, whatever we walk through, whatever we're feeling, whether we're on the highest high or we're on the lowest low, there is a teacher by the power of his Holy Spirit who's connecting with us and wanting to talk with us in every way that we need and every way that we want.